Good morning to all of you. Happy Thursday of pre-midterm week. Yay. Who has a, a midterm project that's coming up? Anybody in the room? Oh, my, only one? Oh, what an easy place. Um, please turn to hymn number 426. And would you stand and we'll, we'll sing stanzas one and two. Please be seated. Now the, the, the pseudo theme, while well, it actually has been the theme for much of what we've done in chapel this week, has been about forgiveness. Uh, especially I was thinking about the sermon on Tuesday, what's your problem sermon? That, was, that, that one really got to the point. Uh, and this particular hymn is... It's always hard to say, people ask me, what's your favorite hymn? Because I love them all. And, and, the, and I wouldn't say this is my favorite hymn, but this is a tremendous text. Absolutely tremendous. And I probably have a connection to it because as a, as a youngster, it was uh, sung frequently in church, lots of times in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. You know, So it, it's a, it, it goes deep in that regard. Now, a little bit about the poet. You see the poet's name up there? Poet, you're, if you're looking for the poet, where do you go on the page? You go to the upper left-hand side. That tells you where the words come from. Every hymn, as I've said a thousand times, has a story. The words come from a fellow by the name, his last name was Neumeister, and his first name was Erdmann. Erdmann Neumeister. And he was a pastor, uh, obviously, in Germany. Uh, so the hymn was originally written in German. And um, uh, was a pretty important poet at the time he lived. He wrote many, many texts. He preached many, many sermons. Uh, at that time, uh, and it wasn't just in the Lutheran church, but in the church in Europe, there were sort of two streams of thought. One that said, stick to the teachings of the church and the practices of the church preaching and the sacraments and holy absolution, that kind of stuff. Uh, 
And the other side said, all of those things are great, but you need to have a reawakening in your own heart. As wonderful as all of the things that the church has, you need to have a personal awakening. And sometimes that was exhibited in uh, a moment when you were converted. Even if you'd been raised in the church and then all of a sudden one moment you remembered, that is the hour I first believed. That's when I really, really for the first time in my life understood what Christ had done for us. Now, so in a nutshell, because year-long courses have been taught on this, and it's great fun and very interesting, uh, Neumeister represented the side of the church that said, Christ has given us these gifts, that is enough. And he preached against those who said, you have to do something in order for you to be saved. You must have an awakening. It's up to you. It's up to you. Um, and those people in Germany at that time, among, in the Lutheran church, but it wasn't just the Lutheran church, uh, similar movements happened in the, in the Roman Catholic church and in the Reformed church at the same time. And you know your history, so you know what's happening in the world during this time. There's a, there's a realignment. Uh, the old medieval appreciation for the church is going away and is being replaced by science and rationalism and things like that. And this theological movement was called pietism because it emphasized the piety of the individual. If you are a Christian, there are things you do and things you don't do. And the don't-do list got very long. And if you did one of those things, your neighbors could sit in judgment of you. Say, well, are you really a Christian? Which is a horrible question to ask because it forces us to look inside when we need to look where? Outside. Outside of ourselves for the truth of what God has done for us. Well, anyways, there was... Um, uh, the city that he worked in, Hamburg, which is up in northern Germany, on the water there, uh, there was a play that was published. And it, was, it really skewered the pietists. It was like one, one bad joke after another about the pietists. Well, the pietists thought that Neumeister had written it. So they came to his house in a spirit of good Christian charity and threw rocks through his windows. <laughs> So that's what that amounted to. He had nothing to do with it, but he did, of course, preach against them. We have um, one other hymn, <clears throat> excuse me, one other hymn by him that uh, has become a real beloved hymn in, in the church in the last 20 years. Um, God's Own Child, I gladly say it. Does that ring any bells? The baptismal hymn? So that's what he wrote. He also wrote, he was a poet, as I said, and he wrote a cycle of cantata texts. Now, in those days, when you went to church on Sunday morning, it could last up to four hours. And, and part of that was this magnificent music that was produced. So Neumeister would write the text, and then somebody like J.S. Bach or Georg Philipp Telemann would pick up those texts and then compose music to go with it for every Sunday in the church year. It's quite an amazing thing to think about, especially in the days before any kinds of computers. Craziness, right? So let's go and uh, take a look at um, three and four. Are you set?
Now, as I was thinking about this text uh, and the presentation for today, uh, I, I do prepare for these things, after all, in case anyone is wondering. There is a poem, and if, you, if you've got your device handy, electric something, some device, do you have a, everybody has a device, your phone or your pacemaker. <laughs> and I'd like you to look at, uh, or at least find this, so that you can read it at, at a later time. There is a poem that was written in the 1890s called The Hound of Heaven. So enter the Hound of Heaven. See if something comes up. I'm sure there's nothing bad, because I checked. And even though we're all doing this at the same time, I don't think we'll break the internet. The Hound of Heaven. And we have those images in Scripture. That I think in this hymn especially, the, the one that, that uh, is mentioned is Christ, the Good Shepherd, leaving the 99 to find the one that's lost. And that's a very dear and beautiful picture to us. Um, and then the next verse where it talks about the invitation, there are all of those pictures in the Gospels and also in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, uh, reminding us that God is preparing a great banquet for us. And he wants you there. He wants you there. Well, The Hound of Heaven is an interesting poem uh, because in England, a hound... Uh, especially if you lived at like Downton Abbey, was trained especially to go and lead the hunt, right? And find that fox. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a miserable kind of thing for the fox, isn't it? What happens? All that running and running and running. And you either die of exhaustion or you get trapped. Um, they don't do that anymore. They used to do that in, 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 uh, here in Minnesota too. Down in the area around Fairmont, there were a whole bunch of English settlers that came there, and they would have, every year, they would have the hunt, and they'd all dress up, and their houses were built with huge double doors because after the hunt, the winning horse would be able to come into the house, drive, or walk up the stairs and come into the parlor with everybody else. This happened here in Minnesota. There's a great storybook about it. But anyways, the hymn, or the, the poem, The Hound of Heaven, is one that you can't, you can't read in one sitting. It requires a great deal of digestion and thought. But if you like words, and if you like thinking, which is why you're all paying money to do that, this is, this is something. That, that picture of Christ, so full of grace, that when he gets on the trail of a sinner, he won't let go. It's, it's, it's just a little different from the Good Shepherd picture. Uh, but, it, but it's very, very powerful. And so... I would, I would uh, invite you to, uh, to take a good look at that one sometime in your, in your leisure. Don't try to digest it all at once. The words are too big, for one thing, and, uh, and the thoughts are also quite big. So let's stand now and conclude with singing 5, 6, 7, and 8.
May God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless us and keep us and preserve us in our vocations and in our faith unto life everlasting. Let us depart in peace. Amen.